to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Well, as we get ready to kick off uh, the Beatitudes uh, as a Sunday series, we're really excited about it. It's going to be great. Uh, we're talking about blessing. The Beatitudes are all about blessings. And uh, Pastor Larry said I should start with a joke, and I was thinking about it. Well, what could I say? You know, I'm going to blame this on Pastor Larry. So, you know, it's, it's not really a joke as such. You know, I, I joke around with um, with my lovely Jenny all the time. You know, I, I pick because I care, but I also, you know, I flirt with her, only her, uh, as Pastor Larry pointed out last last week. Um, but one of the things I joke around with her a lot about is, you know, I'll, I'll walk in and go, you know, honey, I'm just so happy for you that you are so blessed. You're one of the blessed people I know, the most blessed people I know, because you're married to me, you know? And, and of course, she really, she just loves that. It never gets old. At least she hasn't told me that it gets old. So, um, but, you know, we can joke around about being blessed, but how blessed are we? You know, you could probably list the top 10 things that you're really thankful for, and they'd be really, really good things. But when we look at the Beatitudes, these are peculiar things. There are some peculiar characteristics that lead to the blessing that are the catalyst that releases the blessing, that opens up the blessing. God has attached blessing to some very peculiar things indeed. So we're going to have a deep look at that over the next uh, few weeks. Um, so we hope you're going to join us every week. Uh, but I want to start with the Great Commission. You know, what was it all about? Um, in today's message, we're going to set the scene a little bit, and we're going to take a look at the first of the Beatitude. Um, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to take a deep look at that today. Um, but we're also going to just set the background, uh, set a bit of a foundation for the entire series today as well. And there's no greater place to start with than the Great Commission that we see in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 to 21. And this is, Jesus is just about to ascend and uh, the disciples are out with him on a remote place and he turns to them and says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, hang on to that, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, hang on to that too, to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus gives a specific instruction here at the commissioning to go make disciples of all nations and to teach them everything that they were taught. And really, those are, those are two things that we see at play here leading up to what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. So we see uh, in the introduction to it, we see these two things. We see discipleship. We see the beginning of the gospel going out to the nations, and we also see Jesus teaching. All of these things have a key role to play. Jesus was all about these things. He didn't just commission the disciples on that day in Matthew 28. Jesus had been doing this with them, instilling this in them. This wasn't news to them. It was just a final clarification for them. And I think that's important for us to, to bear out. So when we look at the Beatitudes, 
the Beatitudes are in Matthew chapter 5, and here he is in Matthew 28, reinforcing everything that he's been doing with them. It's so consistent. It's something for us. If you're a believer today, if you've given your life to Jesus and you know that he, he holds your future, if, if you have that full assurance, then this should really mean something to you today. And if maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life and you've never considered Jesus as possibly being your savior, your savior, uh, then I want to open up that door to you today. I want to open up that window of possibility as we begin to to look at the Beatitudes. Well, let's set the scene. The math, in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes uh, begin. Um, but in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus... Um, and his reputation is going viral. This is at the start of his ministry. He started to pull a few disciples together. In Matthew 4, verses 23 and 24, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. And then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. So what was happening there? Well, Jesus was teaching, and he was also preaching. He was declaring the good news, the gospel, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was with them present. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Heaven had come down. Heaven was with us and was present. And as Jesus was teaching and preaching, this began to become something that people could detect and pick up. If the miracles weren't enough, there was something in the way that he taught. He taught with such authority, and then it was backed up by the miracles and by the healing. So by the time we get to the Sermon on the Mount, reputation about Jesus has gone viral. Word has gone out. Long before there was social media, there was the Bush Telegraph, and you can just imagine throughout Galilee, word just spreading about Jesus. People who were healed going and presenting themselves in their hometown synagogue or with their family and going, look, you know, you remember my hand that was withered. You remember my legs. I couldn't walk. You remember me. I used to sit by the gate and beg, look at me now. Jesus went and he brought such healing and word went out and it was such a tangible word. The evidence was there. It was so evident. And that is the background for the Beatitudes. By the time we get to chapter 5, verse 1 of Matthew, it says that, And seeing the multitudes, he, being Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, and then he goes into the Beatitudes. You can just imagine this scene. Jesus and his disciples, his, his fairly new disciples, these people are new to following Jesus. They're going through the countryside, and Jesus' reputation has brought crowds of people, and they're following Jesus, and they're following the disciples. They want to see what he's going to do next. They want to hear what it is that he's going to say next. What is he going to teach next? What is he going to preach next? And these, these multitudes are following him. 
And we're going we're gonna to see over the course of the Sermon on the Mount, which goes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, all the way to the end of chapter 7 of Matthew, by the time you get to the start of Matthew 8, verse 1, you have these phenomenal multitudes. You know, Jesus didn't have just one crowd of people and the disciples who were sitting there for the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. No, he had a crowd that was growing, a crowd that was beginning to assemble, and he had his disciples who came and they sat near him. The second Jesus sat down, they came and they sat down. And it says he opened his mouth and he began to teach them. Let's read the Beatitudes. Let's just read it all the way through, and then I'll pull something out here that I want you to see. See, Jesus was declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That really means something. That is one of the most transformative truths that you're ever going to hear. Even today, as you hear it, that is one of the most life-changing truths that you could ever hear. He who has an ear, let him hear. I hope you're hearing what we're saying today. After Jesus sat down, it says in verse 3, he opened his mouth, and this is what he taught. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes to, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Twice, Jesus says, almost like bookends, you know, bookends on a shelf that keep the books from falling over. You've got these blessings that sit on the shelf, but what is blessed about the first one and what's blessed about that one hanging out there at the end is the kingdom of of heaven. When Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said, repent. What did it mean to repent in Matthew 4, verse 17? For the that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is it when something is at hand? Well, when it's at hand, it's not far away. When it's at hand, it's present in the now. It's not tomorrow or next week or sometime in the sweet by and by. It's a present now thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Imagine your hands. Just hold your hands out in front of you. Imagine them. Just imagine the greatest blessing that you'll ever receive in your life. The greatest gift, the greatest thing, the thing that can change you the most is sitting right there. It is at hand. Now, how is it that you possess it? How is it that you lay hold of it? How does that happen? 
There has to be a laying hold. Yes, it's at hand, but is it in hand? Yes, it's at hand. Yes, it's present. But have you laid hold of it? And how do you do that? That might be a logical question that could arise within your heart right now. How do I lay hold of it? Well, wrapped up in that word repent is what Jesus was talking about. He was really talking about three things there. The word repent means to change your mind. Change the way you think. I don't know about you. But even today, before I met Jesus, before that day when I was born again and transformed, what a day that was. Before that, and even now sometimes, I have some stinking thinking that goes on inside of my head. Some stinking thinking that just goes on right there in between my ears. I might think things bad about other people. (laughs) You know, sometimes you get into an argument in your head with someone who isn't even there. But whatever it is that leads into those cycles of sin, those cycles of making mistakes, those cycles of hurting people, and in the end, not building a blessed life for yourself and for those around you, it begins in your mind, it begins in your thought life. Change your mind. And then amend your ways. Don't just change your mind, but follow it through with actions. To repent is to change your mind and your actions. You know, all of your actions flow from your thoughts and from your mind. To change your mind is to change your actions, but you still have to, by an act of your will, take that step, pull the trigger, and actually do the good thing that you know to do. Or to suspend from doing the bad thing you know not to do. With abhorrence, to amend your ways, it says wholeheartedly in the Amplified Version, to amend your ways with your whole heart, to put everything you got into it. It's like game day. Every day is game day. Every moment is game day. You pour everything out. You leave nothing on the field. You pour it all out there to do it wholeheartedly, but do it with abandonment for your past your past ways of thinking, your past ways of behaving, the mistakes that you've made, those habits that you've kept making. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As our mind begins to change, our actions begin to change, as we begin to leave our old ways behind, we move into a new future. We move into the dominion, the kingdom, the domain of heaven itself. That is what Jesus is opening up here. That is the blessing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Yes, hallelujah. And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the connection with with the poor in spirit there? And then following up with when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Both of those are attached to the kingdom of heaven. It's yours. What is it with those? You know, something happens when you change your ways. People who remember your old ways, maybe they weren't in your head life, but man, they saw your actions. They didn't have to guess about what was inside you. You know, those people won't let you go sometimes. I remember when I I got saved in the early days, I was like, I've got to get rid of the drugs and the drinking. Man, they have got to go. But you know what? All my old friends were like, why don't you come over tonight? 
what are you doing? What do you mean, Jesus? What are you talking about? See, they didn't like this new way. They wanted Kev the old way. They were, they were like, hey, Kev, what are you doing getting out of this ditch that we're in? Wasn't life good here? Come on, things are okay. Don't you want to get back in with me? Oh, my heart's cry was no. With Jesus on the inside, there was a new kind of wholeheartedness that I could apply to changing my life. It took a little while. Oh, but the drugs and the alcohol and those bad habits from the past began to shake loose. They just couldn't hold on anymore. You know, that kind of transformation is pivotal to, to the Beatitudes, these seemingly contradictory blessings, characteristics that you wouldn't necessarily attribute to yourself. You know, it's no mistake that the first one is the poor in spirit. We saw Jesus in Gethsemane when I read from Matthew earlier. We see Jesus being poor in spirit, troubled indeed, deeply distressed about what was coming, about what was happening, about what was going on. But you know, for someone who doesn't know God, for someone who doesn't know to call out Abba Father, <laughs> for someone who hasn't met him yet, for someone who hasn't become aware of the kingdom of heaven that is at hand, for them, well, it's a different kind of poor in spirit that precedes that blessing of laying hold of the kingdom of heaven. Let's just take a look at that, that one instance but let's do it by taking a look at the two kinds of people that were present at the Sermon on the Mount. You had the crowds, which we talked about earlier, those ever-growing crowds, and you had the disciples. Jesus was teaching and reaching the crowds. That was what he came to do. In Luke 19.10, it says, Jesus said of himself, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That was why he came, and that's exactly what he was doing. He was teaching them, and he was reaching them. The Beatitudes were for them. And the Beatitudes were also for those disciples who had come up and had sat down in front of him. You know, Moses, in the Old Testament, he got overburdened by his ministry. And it took him a little while to set in place people that had authority and responsibility who could step in with him and take some of that load and share some of that load. And he, he had a far more effective ministry because of that. When Jesus is discipling his disciples, he's avoiding that mistake that Moses had to go through a process of correcting. No, Jesus is discipling those disciples because the crowds are coming, because the people are coming. So this lesson in the Beatitudes is for the disciples as well. You can imagine as he starts off with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I always imagine Jesus sitting with his disciples, but turning to the crowds. All of these poor in spirit, searching for something, hungering for something more, knowing that there's something more. The scripture says that God has written eternity in our hearts. They are walking through the field because eternity stirs within them. Uh, a righteous hunger, maybe the only righteous thing within them, this hunger 
for something better, for something more, this knowledge that there has to be something more. I imagine Jesus turning to them and saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. You can imagine the disciples kind of looking out and going, yeah, okay, I'm kind of getting it. So Jesus is teaching and training his disciples, but he's teaching and reaching these crowds. You know, Jesus said to uh, Peter in, in Matthew 4, verse 19, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, here they are. Here come the fish. Peter would have remembered that haul of fish and now here they are, all these poor in spirit, the harvest ripe right there in front of them. And of course, the Great Commission just sits in the background. What was the purpose? What was the goal? What was the goal? Jesus was all about the goal. Something to be aware of over the period of the Sermon on the Mount. We go from many multitudes, which many Bible scholars estimate to be around 10 to 15,000 people. So that's at the start when Jesus sits down to do the Beatitudes, about 10 to 15,000 people coming. And then by the end, we see this great multitude in Matthew 8, verse 1. And most Bible scholars estimate that to be in excess of 100,000 people. Oh, the crowds just grew and grew and grew. How transformative was it for them? You know, sitting as a disciple was Matthew. Matthew who wrote the gospel of Matthew. Matthew who had been a tax collector. I was to be a tax collector back then was to was to be, well, maybe even today, you know, people who work for the ATO or the IRS, they aren't necessarily the ones that you welcome. But back then it was even worse. You were uh, had betrayed your very own people. You'd betrayed them to Rome. Matthew had been a tax collector and he's following Jesus. And Matthew is one of these people who had been poor in spirit, and yet the kingdom of heaven had come and was at hand, and he followed Jesus. We see some remarkable things about Matthew that we could tease out. But one is that he invited Jesus into his home. And not only that, Matthew brought his tax collector colleagues, those who Matthew also knew were poor in spirit. He brought them to hear Jesus, to sit at his feet, to be impacted by the message, to hear him teach and to preach and perhaps even see some miracles and some confirmation. I, I love the viral nature. You know, when something goes viral, it means people share it. There's a contagiousness about Christianity. There's a contagiousness about the gospel message. When it transforms you, it's so good that you've got to share it. But it starts with being poor in spirit. Let's look at what that means to be poor in spirit. I want to kind of go to a couple of other translations. I love it in the Passion Translation. To be poor in spirit is to feel your spiritual poverty. You know, before I met Jesus, before that night of transformation, you know, one of the most transformative things about that night was my poverty in spirit and becoming aware of it. The great weight of my sins was weighing on me that night when I asked Jesus into my heart. The great weight of them was weighing on me. There was a spiritual poverty that I felt. 
the New Living Translation says someone who realizes their need for him and that poverty to realize your need for him, who Jesus, Savior, Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, your need for someone to come and rescue you. Until you're in that kind of distress, you don't realize that you're drowning and that you're in need of a Savior. I love it in the Amplified. It says someone who is devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, that can apply to believer and non-believer alike. To get rid of any sense that, you know, there's something special within me and you got to treat me a certain way because I know. I'm different than you are. I know I'm better than you are. No, there's no spiritual arrogance presence when you are poor in spirit. It can lead you to salvation, but it can also hold you like an anchor in the storms of life when pride wants to come and bring destruction on its heels into your life. So that's what we're talking about. They're poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the key to it, the keys to the kingdom itself begin with this poverty in spirit. You know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we see some miracles that happen. The first miracle, the very first one, and I imagine this guy being the most poor in spirit. I imagine him hanging out away from the crowd. I imagine him having to find a strategic position to catch up with Jesus, who's surrounded by these great multitudes that followed him at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But he picked his place and he found his appointment with the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 8, verses 2 to 4, says, and behold, a leper came and worshiped him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In the Amplified, it says to cleanse me by curing me. You know, an interesting note for you is that lepers in scripture are always cleansed of their disease. The healing comes from a cleansing Leprosy was always associated with sin. It was like this outward symbol of an inward sin. This guy doesn't say, Jesus, heal me. He says, cleanse me by curing me. It's a very peculiar thing. You imagine this man hearing about Jesus, Jesus forgiving people, Jesus with authority, Jesus who followed it up with miracles and signs and wonders. He wasn't just about the truth and the gospel and the great commission. He followed it up with signs and wonders and miracles. This man came to Jesus for all of those reasons, but the most important thing he asked him for was cleanse me. Cleanse me of this outward effect of my inward state. You imagine the great poverty of spirit that this man felt and the blessing that came to him as a result of it, to be totally transformed. And then perhaps one of the, the most amazing miracles of all that we see come at the end of this, this Again, it's not just a miracle, it's a transformation in someone's life. And this one opens up the door to what it is that the Great Commission has actually achieved and continues to achieve today. 
The Great Commission is still going on today. It still goes on today. In Matthew 8, verses 5 to 10, it says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, this was a Roman centurion, not a Jewish person, not a religious person. This was someone who had brutalized and oppressed. This was a man who had, who had within him the potential to be aware of a great poverty of, of spirit for his actions, for his lifestyle, for the things that he had chosen to do by an act of his will. When Jesus said, I will come and heal him, the centurion's very next words are, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. I'm not worthy. We kind of breeze over that when we read this passage and we go right on to, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. And the centurion goes on to explain his understanding of authority as the basis on which Jesus could just simply send his word. But don't gloss over what he says there. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. That is poor in spirit within the heart of the unsaved. Verse 10 when Jesus heard his explanation of authority and why it was that Jesus didn't need to go and only needed to send his word, I'm sure Jesus also marveled at what this man was saying, I am not worthy. Perhaps it is the most important thing in the entire passage here. I am not worthy. None of us are worthy of salvation. Salvation is by grace. It is a gift of mercy a grace gift from God to you and me. We didn't deserve it, and yet he offers it freely, the kingdom of heaven at hand, offered to you and to me, offered up to us. Jesus said, I assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not in Israel. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 11, and this is where we get back to that great commission. Check, check this out. The gospel's meant to go out to the nations. The gospel's meant to go out of the nation of Israel and out to the surrounding nations and out to the surrounding countries and around the world. And it did, but it began here. It began with this teacher who was preaching. It began with these multitudes that gathered. It began with these disciples. It began with poverty of spirit, the poor in spirit. It began with them. Verse 11 of Matthew 8. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Who are the many that come from the east and from the west and sit down with these uniquely Jewish leaders, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's you and it's me. One of the great things, or many things I love about Casey City Church, but one of the great things I love about Casey City Church is we are from all over the planet. We are truly, we're like the United Nations. We're a little, little microcosm of the United Nations right here in the city of Casey. And we're a blessing to this city, but we're a blessing because we have been blessed. 
Every last one of us who serve here started with this great poverty in spirit. We entered the kingdom because of this great poverty in spirit. And it is that poor in spirit that keeps us blessed, that keeps us humble. So when we look at the results of the Great Commission, we see what was going viral here in Galilee goes truly global from there. It goes out to the rest of the world, and it still, still goes today. I want to begin to just wrap up and, and bring it in for a landing. I want to show you another tax collector. We talked about Matthew who was a tax collector. Matthew who invited Jesus into his home. Matthew who, who uh, invited his tax collector colleagues to come and sit at Jesus' feet to join him. But there was a chief tax collector in Jericho, a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was short. Uh, before I started the sermon, we were setting things up and everybody was standing in front of me and they were standing in front of me. I'm sitting on a stool and they're staring at me on eye level. Um, so kind of funny. Um, but, uh, you know, we can joke around about that. And I love short people. I like helping them all the time. I'm the guy who gets the stuff off the top shelf for you. If you don't mind grabbing that thing on the bottom shelf for me, we can work together. Um, but I like Zacchaeus because he was short in stature, but he was, he was an unusual tax collector. He was the chief tax collector to the Jews, the religious Jews of the day. This would have been like a mafia boss. He would have been like the guy who came and extorted money from local business owners. This was the guy who was in charge of other tax collectors. Tax collectors were known for being uh, people who skimmed off the top, who overcharged, who lined their own pockets. And the way they could tell if someone was this way, if they were a crooked tax collector, was that they lived a wealthy lifestyle. And in Luke 19, verses 8 to 10, we see uh, a little bit about Zacchaeus. We see that uh, Jesus was coming through town. He was teaching. He was preaching. He was healing people. The crowds were following. Everybody was following him again. And here's Zacchaeus who can't see over the crowd, who can't get through the crowd. So he climbs a tree to be able to see over. And Jesus sees him up there. And he says, hey, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name. Come down. I'm going to stay at your house tonight. Now, Zacchaeus had a nice house. He had a big house. He was wealthy, extremely wealthy, which probably meant that he was as crooked as a dog's hind leg. It probably meant that he was skimming off the top and he was also taking from other tax collectors. I'm sure they paid him a bit of a tribute. And Zacchaeus, before he invites Jesus to his house, he says, look, Lord, catch this, poor in spirit. Look, Lord, I give half of all my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. What Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus had already transformed his thinking and imperative. And what he's saying is not only will I do this, but I've already begun to do this. Zacchaeus had already begun to change. When Jesus came through town, Zacchaeus didn't want to go and hide from him. He wanted to see him. He was already sniffing the kingdom of heaven that was at hand 
poor in spirit. And what a blessing to have Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, Messiah, Savior, the one who had been spoken about for hundreds of years by the prophets there present and saying, I'm going to stay at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus didn't have to say, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Oh, he was one step beyond that. The changed mind, the beginning of changed actions, the utter commitment to going forward with the full transformation process that the gospel brings. Zacchaeus, very powerful. Verse 9, and then Jesus said to him, today, (laughs) today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Those who are poor in spirit. When Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is right here, right in front of you, at hand. You can lay hold of it today, right now. You can lay hold of it today. Are you poor in spirit? Are you aware of the great poverty within you? Are you aware of the weight of your sins, the mistakes that you not only have made, but you keep making? Are you aware of that today? All you've got to do is confess that to God. You don't have to go down the laundry list. You just confess. Lord, I'm poor in spirit. Lord, there's a great poverty within me. And I keep living out of it and it keep producing the same results. I want to change. Confess your sins to God. He says he's faithful and just to forgive you. Mm. No matter what you've done, God Mm. is just. Mm -hmm. And he can forgive you today because of what Jesus went through in Gethsemane, because of what Jesus went through when he went to the cross. He took your shame. He took your shame upon himself. He took your sin upon himself at the cross that you might receive mercy today. you just real quick the ABCs of salvation. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came, who lived, and died, and was resurrected back to life again on the third day. And that today he's seated at the right hand of the Father on the mercy seat, listening for your cries for mercy. And then confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. You can give your life to Jesus today. You'll be so glad that you did. Just lead you in a prayer. This is not a magic prayer. It's just a a suggestion. You can follow it. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, if you'd like to be born again, be transformed today different from this day forward, to be able to leave those sins behind, to move forward into a new future, to move forward and live present in the domain and the dominion of the kingdom of heaven. That the kingdom of heaven would not only be at hand, but it would be within heart. 
then you can just pray this prayer with me. Let's pray. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes, and that I keep making them. Jesus, I believe that you came, that you were born of a virgin, that you lived a sinless life, that you willingly went to the cross to die in my place, to pay for my sins. And because you were sinless, because you were righteous, you were raised back to life again on the third day. And because you live, I can live. I can live today. Jesus, I ask you to come and live on the inside of me. I ask for you to bring the kingdom of heaven onto the inside of me that I would be born again today in spirit. Hallelujah. Born again in spirit. Mm, amen. And I confess you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.